Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you've been journeying along with us throughout this series, you may be surprised with this last line because I haven't spoken it or prayed it until this week. And it may come as a surprise to some of you that Jesus didn't pray it either. And that's because these final lines don't come from the original gospel texts. However, that doesn't mean they're not significant. In fact, they've been used to conclude the Lord's Prayer since the church's very early days. They actually seem to be drawn from King David who prayed, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. In these carefully chosen words, King David is relinquishing his kingdom, his power, and his glory to the king of kings. He's giving back to God every blessing he himself has received. And then we conclude with amen, which if you're not familiar with or you don't know, simply means yes. Amen means yes. One of my favorite books is called The Pastor, and it's a memoir written by Eugene Peterson, who also translated the Bible into the message translation. And his book, The Pastor, is one of my favorite books. In fact, I've read it multiple times. There's not many books that I've done that with, but he, he's often known as a pastor to pastors. And in this book, in this memoir, he shares a story about his daughter, Karen, who is only about two at the time. And they had just begun having worship services in their basement, which would become the church he would pastor for the next 25 years. But at the end of one of their first services, as he was closing in prayer, Karen yelled out, Amen. And she was so embarrassed by it because she was the only one who did that. But she did that because that's how they would conclude prayers as a family. So they were meeting in their house, just in the basement, just with a few more people. So as her dad closed in prayer, she yelled out, Amen. So later that week, she ended up asking her dad, well, what does Amen mean? And her dad explained to her that it means yes. And that when we say amen, whether it's at the supper table or at ch church or at bedtime, we are affirming the prayer that was offered. So we pray and then we affirm it with this amen. Yes. We're saying, yes, that's right. I'm in on this too. So her follow-up question was, well, why don't we just say yes? So her dad told her that, you know what? If you want to, you can. Because the people who started the Christian church in the first place said amen because that was yes in their language. And we as Christians, well, we've just kept doing it. And Jesus was very fond of the word and he used the word a lot too. 
So from then on, Peterson talks about his, his daughter. She would sometimes say amen. Sometimes she would say yes. But the one he loved most was when she would yell out amen, yes, together. Because you see, it reminded him every time that she said that of Paul's words to the young first generation church in Corinth. Whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. In him, this is what we preach and pray. The great amen. God's yes and our yes together, gloriously evident. God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ, putting his yes within us. This is the power of amen. It's an invitation to step into what God is doing and say, yes, count me in. But before we jump up and say, yes, I'm in, there's one other line from the Lord's Prayer that I believe we need to address. And that is, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, I don't believe we're at the point and fully able to say yes until we're able to confess. And I know that rhymes, it might sound cheesy, but I 100% stand behind these words that we are not able to fully say yes if we're not able to confess. This has got to be one of the most challenging lines of the Lord's Prayer. And that's why it's so important that we address it here. Because who wouldn't want a loving Father in heaven? I do. The kingdom of heaven to come down to earth. I do. Who wouldn't want a fresh loaf of daily bread? I do. <laughs> but then this line comes out of nowhere and it hits us where it hurts. Forgive us our sins. There's no excuses. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And the second part drives it home further. As we have forgiven our debtors. Or as we forgive those who sin against us. Whew! Like my first instinct is to say, no way! That's not fair! They did it! But like Pete Gregg reminded me in his book, clenched fists and pointing fingers close our hands to grace. Whew. In the Gospels, we surprisingly see Jesus not always healing people immediately, but rather saying, your sins are forgiven. That's interesting, right? Like you'd think the priority would be, Let, let's heal first. Let's, let's address this, this uh, apparent need. But this always enraged the religious leaders because who has the authority to forgive sins other than God himself? But you see, I believe Jesus was showing us something more important than just healing our physical needs. You see, our greatest need and God's greatest gift is the forgiveness of sins. Our greatest need and God's greatest gift is the forgiveness of sins. And to receive it, you just have to ask for it and then pass it on. But here's the catch. To ask for it means that you have to admit you need it. Whew. <laughs> By admitting 
by confessing, by asking for forgiveness, you're taking yourself out of the throne, out of the driver's seat, out of the first chair, and you're putting Jesus in his proper place as the true king of the world and the true king of your life. And it's easier said than done. This is why this line, it, it hurts. It, it's one that we wrestle with and we're gonna continue to wrestle with, but it's one that is so important that we have to keep coming back to, to make sure that Jesus is in his proper place and that we are in ours. It's hard. Everything around us is telling us, put yourself first. But in the kingdom of God, it's about becoming second, making Jesus first. It doesn't matter what you've said or done, what you've thought about saying or doing, where you've been or who you've been there with. There is more grace in God than sin in you. I love that line. There's more grace in God than sin in you. Because although it's hard to confess, although it's hard to say, yeah, Jesus belongs there. He continually pours out his grace upon us, no matter what we've done, where we've been, or who we've been there with. So how do you receive it? You simply come before God and confess. It's it's not about the speech though. There, there's no magic in the words that you use. A lot of times we, we wrestle with, well, what, what do I say to God? It's simply that you come. You coming to the point of recognition that you need forgiveness. Pope Francis has said, God never tires of forgiving us. We get tired of asking for forgiveness. And I believe the moment that we stop asking for forgiveness, this gap is created. And the longer we go, the wider the gap becomes. However, the moment we come and confess, the gap disappears or a bridge appears, if you will, however you want to think of it. But this is why it's so important that we daily come to confession and admit that this is about God, this isn't about us, to close that gap, to keep short accounts. I think of the, the prodigal son and how he made a mess of his life but decided he was going to return home and he had worked out this whole speech in his head and what he was gonna say. But when the father saw him coming, the father ran to him with our arms wide open. It wasn't about the speech, it was that he had chosen to come home. And the same goes for you and God. It's not about the speech, the prayer. It's that you are choosing to come before him. The first time I ever heard of a man named Charles or Chuck Colson was back during my undergrad when we had to read one of his books. And Chuck was part of President Nixon's special counsel. He was known as his hatchet man who was then indicted in the infamous Watergate scandal that rocked America in the 1970s. So upon his indictment, his first instinct was to fight. We're gonna go down fighting. But then one night, a friend spoke directly into his life and accused him of pride. And Chuck goes on to share, suddenly 
I felt naked and unclean. My bravado defenses gone. I was exposed and unprotected. And as he drove away from his friend's place that night, he broke down. And with my face cupped in my hands, head leaning against the wheel, I forgot about pretenses, about fears of being weak. And as I did, I began to experience a wonderful feeling of being released. Then came the strange, strange sensation that water was not only running down my cheeks, but surging through my whole body as well, cleansing and cooling as it went. They weren't tears of sadness and remorse, nor of joy, but somehow tears of relief. And then I prayed my first real prayer. He did serve time in jail, yet through an amazing testimony, surrendered his life to Jesus. He put Jesus first and he ended up founding a prison ministry which is still running today which is known as Prison Fellowship. And because he surrendered his life, because he confessed and recognized, wait a second, I've been keeping myself in the first chair. Jesus belongs there. God was able to renew, restore, and redeem this man's life. And Chuck was able to step into a deeper yes that Jesus was inviting him into. His life became an amen. As he broke down and received freedom and was released, he learned how to simply pray and he stepped in to the greater amen. Now, you might be asking, how often do I do this? Because I mess up a fair, fair bit. As often as necessary, as often as you pray. This is why Jesus teaches us this as part of the Lord's Prayer, because it's important that we constantly do it. It's a continual act of surrender as we pray, as we confess, and as we keep ourselves in check and keep Jesus in his proper place. So... I don't know about you, but for me, this is something that I need to do daily. Every day, I need to be thinking through my day. Where did I put myself first? As 1 John 1 9 puts it, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, if this is new to you or you just want to dig deeper into confession, I have a link in the next steps part of the description for a PDF called How to Confess Sin. But like I said before, it's ultimately about admitting your needs, admitting your weaknesses, your shortcomings, and simply accepting love, grace, and the forgiveness that Jesus offers. I've shared this many of times before, but probably where I struggle the most is even just when I drive down White Church Road or 56, and I am continually coming back saying, God, that wasn't right. I need to keep my heart in check. It isn't about me getting ahead of the next driver. It isn't about me getting to where I need to be. God, I, I, I'm part of this community. And I'm part of what he is doing in this community and in our world.
as my kids get older, oh boy, whew, they recognize my shortcomings more and more. And they're beginning to call me out on some of them. Awesome. <laughs> so I've been working at trying to confess not only to God, but also to them when they've witnessed me, let's say not at my, at my best. And right now during a pandemic, we're home 24 seven. So the chances of them see me, seeing me not at my best are higher than normal. But I've been trying to include them in this. And this is so, so hard. I have to swallow my pride each time I go into their room at the end of the day and apologize to them. But I've got to, but I've got to admit that there's something freeing about it. When I've gone in and I've admitted my behavior and I've asked them for their forgiveness too. I then pray with them and say, you know what, let's bring it before God because daddy needs to ask for forgiveness with him too. Because you see, just as much as there's this vertical aspect in prayer between God and us, there's also a horizontal aspect between one another. In fact, the only time we're told to worship God after doing something else is when there is something between you and another person. Matthew said, or Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, if you take your gift to the altar and remember someone has something against you, leave your gift on the altar, go and make right what is wrong between you and them, then come back and give your gift. Whew. This doesn't mean I confess all my stuff to my kids because not all of it involves them. I have an accountability partner that I do the deeper stuff with. But when it involves my kids, when they've witnessed my failure, I include them. We are called to continually make things right before and with one another as we make things right between us and God. And I'll admit, sometimes I think, yeah, but God, do I really have to share this with my kids? I'll tell you, but let's just seem silly or trivial to tell my kids or involve them. And sometimes it's just because I don't want to remind them about my shortcomings. But I believe this is the point, that we are being changed by every decision we make. So regardless of whether it's something big or whether it's something small, we are being transformed into the, the likeness of Christ through the thousand, if not millions of small choices we make every day. So think of confession as course correction. That as all of these little decisions we're making change the trajectory of our lives, we wanna simply keep coming back and making sure we're on track and moving towards Jesus. And that's what I wanna model for my kids. That's why I wanna make things right between them too so that they will see me making these adjustments when necessary to say, you know what, that, that wasn't how I ought to be living. I need to come back. But like I said from day one of our series, how to pray is about keeping it simple, keeping it real, and keeping it up. And since then, we've covered a ton of ground. <laughs> we've gone through a lot. But let me remind you that at the heart of prayer is a God who made you and a God who loves you. He longs to talk with you. 
to be with you. He doesn't expect you to get it right all the time or to always know what to say, but he wants to hear your heart. So as we wrap up our series tonight, please don't take the techniques and the tips and the tools that we've covered and explored over the last few weeks. Don't take them too seriously. Like, oh, what did Kevin say week three? I need to follow that. No, the point of all of this is to get you praying, to keep it simple, to keep it real, and to help keep it up. And be encouraged that even during times when you don't know what to say, it says in Romans, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So pray, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, wait and trust for the light and hope to come. Bring your heart before the Father as simply, honestly, and consistently as you can. And then let your life say amen, yes. Allow your life to speak in agreement with God. Amen isn't just a polite way of signing off. Amen. No, rather, it's an emphatic way of voicing your agreement, saying yes to God, count me into his family. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 1.20, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Will you say yes to God? Will you join in on what he's doing? And it's going to look different for each of us, where we're at in our relationship with Jesus, where he's placed us, what he's doing in our circle of influence. Perhaps, though, you simply need to say yes to God and surrender your life to him. Put him first in your life. If so, don't wait. Do it. Say yes. I'm joining in on, on what you're doing. It will be the best decision of your life. I guarantee it. Or maybe God's calling you to take the next step in your faith. Maybe it's baptism and following his example and command saying, yes, yes, I, I need my life to, to speak the great amen and join in on what God's doing. And my next step is following him into the waters of baptism. If so, contact me. Let's set this up. Let's do it. It can be a number of things that God's inviting you into. Perhaps getting more involved in some of the ministries or ministry teams here, supporting our district, national, international ministries, financially through prayer. God might even be calling you to go to the mission field. But you know what? We are also part of a mission field right here in Binbrook. So it might even be God calling you to go check on your next door neighbor or call up a family member you haven't spoken to in a while. What is it that God's inviting you into? And will you say yes? Here's what I love. Throughout history, whenever God was about to do a new thing, he first mobilized his people to pray. 
Whenever God was about to do a new thing throughout history, he first mobilized his people to pray. And this is what's so exciting about, about developing our prayer lives and about going through this series is that God is mobilizing you and me and our church to pray. And what happens next is anyone's guess, but it sure is exciting to be part of and to join in and say, amen, yes. Count me in. So to conclude our series, I want to invite you to join me in praying the vision prayer of our larger church family, the Christian Missionary Alliance. Now, this doesn't supersede the Lord's Prayer by any means. Instead, I believe it's actually a great response to the Lord's Prayer. I believe it's our amen to the Lord's Prayer. So read with me on the screen. Oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come, transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people, multiplying disciples everywhere. And all God's people said, Amen. Yes. I invite you now to participate with us in communion. Grab a piece of bread, a glass of water or juice or wine, whatever you have available, and simply come to the table. Come before Jesus and say, I need you. I, I can't do this on my own. You are the true king of the world and of my life. Jesus, thank you for your body that was given for us and your blood which was shed for you and for me out of his love and his desire to be with you. Let's do this to remember him.